Hey, I'm Rachel. I found Dr. Heidi's podcast when I needed it most, as I was leaving an emotionally abusive marriage. Dr. Heidi validated my experience, made me feel less alone, and helped me start the healing that I could not have done alone. Dr. Heidi is now offering an exclusive members-only podcast, where you can submit your questions, listen to others going through similar struggles, and hear Dr. Heidi's never-before-shared personal story. To learn more, go to www.itsnotnormalitstoxic.com. Join her members-only podcast. It's only $15 a month to get two bonus episodes every week, plus the chance to ask your questions to Dr. Heidi. Go to www.itsnotnormalitstoxic.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. This is Dr. Heidi. Today, I want to welcome back somebody that you've heard a couple times in previous episodes. And today, she's actually going to be telling her story. And this is a huge step for her because if, if you're listening and you're one that has actually told your story, you know how proud you are when you finally do so. So let's hear from Connie. So who am I? I'm Connie. I'm an oncology sales consultant. I grew up in a loving household with happily married parents, still married today after about 50 years. Two younger siblings, went to church every weekend, lived on a farm, ate dinner together every night. Mom stayed home with us. Dad was a small town doctor. Took all of our family vacations together. I got straight A's in school, was a cheerleader, played high school volleyball, dated the captain of our small town high school football team. Nothing ever serious with anyone, just dated and had fun. I never drank or had sex in high school. I went off to college, graduate school, and completed a postgraduate fellowship. Everything was, air quote, going as planned. But something changed in my pattern of relationships. I did get serious with a guy and I did fall in love and I did have sex. Somehow in giving myself to someone, I also gave away my power. An imperceptible shift was taking place within me that I didn't grasp. I dated my college boyfriend for more than six years. My family didn't like him, though they did try to make the best of it. It was pretty apparent. My little brother absolutely hated him. And then... My boyfriend cheated on me. I can't even tell you how many times. All my suspicions were confirmed by the STDs he gave me. I didn't leave him. Instead, I just covered it up by pushing forward with my, again, air quote, life plan. One day, my boyfriend up and left me. Go figure. I was totally devastated. I was totally shell-shocked. I didn't date for a couple of years. When I did, I was already employed in my first pharmaceutical job in Missouri and dated a guy long distance. We dated about three years, I guess. Most of that time, he didn't have the money to visit me, so I traveled to see him or paid for his travel. He was pretty demeaning and undermining, particularly about my career. My family family actually disliked this guy even more than the last, if that's possible. He eventually lost his job and guilted me into living with him, or I'm sorry, living with me. I was so unhappy living with this guy. 
After our final fight, I kicked him out. I found out that he too was cheating on me. He had already moved her up to our area. So when I kicked him out, he moved her right in with him. Fast forward a couple more years. My career is now well established. I've moved companies and have received promotions. I'm doing really well. I'm older, in good physical shape, and outwardly have all the confidence in the world. Then, while at a local Mardi Gras party with some good college friends, I met the man that was to be my husband. Good guy, everyone loved him, gainfully employed, yay. Close to his family, owned his own home, did sales like me. Sounds great, right? Finally, we had a whirlwind romance. My friends and family loved him. He swept me right off my feet, gave me random presents, always listened to me, was my greatest cheerleader and confidant, completely and totally wooed me. We met in March, were engaged at Christmas and married the following October. We had two kids a couple of years later and were off and running. During that time, I began to notice I wasn't happy or at least not as happy as I thought I should have been. But I kept telling myself, I guess this is what marriage is like, compromise. No one is ever totally happy, right? We had a point where we weren't sleeping in the same bedroom. He slept every night with our son. We hadn't had sex for more than four years, totally embarrassing. When we fought, and it was often, he said things like, you know, no one likes you, not your family. They tolerate you because they have to love you, not our friends. They have to, they're my friends and certainly not my family. Or you can't even hold a job because as a pharmaceutical rep, I'd switch companies about every three years to get a new product or try to get a higher salary. And um, oh yeah, by the way, I was carrying all of our benefits and made more than twice his income. Or my favorite, I didn't even want to marry you by the time of the wedding. I just didn't want to waste that wedding money. And uh-huh, yeah, I paid that with my parents. He threatened to divorce me all the time and I'd cry and beg and tell him not to break up our happy lives. All the while telling myself, I mean, he's not a bad husband. He doesn't beat me. He's a great dad. We spent all of our time with his friends and literally every weekend with his family. I lost touch with all my friends. I rarely did things with my own family. I was maintaining at work, but certainly was not excelling. I was not the great employee I had once been. During this time, money was really tight. I was working my job and had four side hustles going to make ends meet. I was a nervous wreck. Prior to my marriage, I was someone that never carried debt. I prided myself on that. I just kept explaining it away as a new way of life because, again, that's how things happen when you're married and have kids. There's compromise. Relationships are work. I gained weight. I was anxious. I had to start taking meds. My husband and I started seeing marriage counselors. We went to many. He found fault with all of them. I finally gave up on us going together and I found one in secret I went to on my own. I realized I had given up on the concept of happiness altogether and was worried I was raising children in an environment where they would think that this is what life should look like. I felt trapped and angry. 
I looked forward to business trips as a way to get away and release pressure. But those trips were supposed to be about learning and networking, not going out. Things weren't going well for me and it wasn't all because of my husband. I myself was changing and not at all in a good way. I was working a conference one day and my husband called me, berating me while I was trying to work my booth. I had to step away so my coworkers couldn't hear him yelling. During the call, he accused me of sleeping with my boss. He told me I wasn't allowed to come home that afternoon and he was changing all the locks on the house and was telling our kids. He said he was divorcing me. I finally hit my breaking point. So I said, okay. First, I called my parents and told them everything that was going on in my marriage. To my sad surprise, they weren't even shocked. They knew. They told me they supported me leaving. My second call was to an attorney. I knew that I could have called my company's EAP, but I was worried that if anyone at my work knew what was happening with me, they'd think I wasn't working hard enough, so I just kept it quiet. So began my journey into learning about domestic abuse. Domestic abuse is so much more than we think it is. We all envision that woman that's been brutally beaten by her husband, or maybe that child by their parent. What we don't think about is it more slow building, quiet, insidious, emotional, financial, verbal alienation that happens in many relationships. What I hadn't seen happening in my world was my husband slowly alienating me from my family and friends, even my own children. Him calling and texting my brother weekly, asking if they wanted to hang out and then calling back saying, sorry, Connie doesn't want to see you. I don't know what's wrong with her. She doesn't want to get together with you guys. I think she's having problems with depression while simultaneously telling me, I don't know why you'd ever ask your brother to do anything. They always just say no and hurt your feelings. Why would you put yourself through that? Or him telling me he'd heard my friends talking about me behind my back, that really he was the only one I could count on. Early on in our relationship, I'd confided in him my deepest fear in life was I wasn't a natural born mother. He used that on me all the time once we had kids, pointing out my parenting flaws and how the kids loved him so much more than me. He started retelling our kids their memories of growing up without me in them, cutting me out of the memories altogether. He also spent a lot of time telling me men and women can't be friends. He made up rules I had to obey. So yeah, at the time, I was a 42-year-old woman that had a set of written rules that I had to follow. For instance, I could only speak to a member of the opposite sex for about five minutes, anything more than that, and it was obvious that I wanted to have sex with them. I had to call and check in with him all the time and tell him about the conversations I'd had. But through all of this, the same rules never applied to him. He traveled for work all the time, and I didn't know his travel schedule. He never had a cell phone ringer on, not even when I was pregnant, on bed rest, or even when I was in labor. I never knew until someone told me later, he regularly traveled with two women. He had a work expense account, but he had me pay most of those expenses with my personal card. I think he probably expensed things and pocketed the money for himself, but I guess I'll never know. That put me further into debt. These are just some of the many examples going on behind the closed doors of my marriage. The outside world 
was totally shocked when I filed for divorce. They thought we were the perfect, put together, loving, successful, all-American family. They were getting ready to see the nightmare on Elm Street. After I filed, my husband told everyone, and I do mean everyone, that I cheated on him. He told our children, who at the time were seven and nine years old, that I cheated on him with a coworker who had sadly killed himself, blaming me for the coworker's death. He called my parents and told them he was going to destroy me and take me for everything I had. He also told them that he would take them for everything they had. He told my parents and siblings there was something seriously mentally wrong with me. He continues to do all of this to this day, and it's been more than five years. He's told our children and anyone that will listen that I've tried to kidnap them. He made me feel helpless and scared by using our children to break into my home. He's called the police on me multiple times. He doesn't allow our kids to speak to me or my family when they're in his custody. The kids aren't allowed to see or do anything with their friends during his custody. He doesn't pay for anything having to do with the kids, even though it's court ordered. He will not answer phone calls or speak to me. I had to install a court ordered parenting app, which he totally abuses. He's called my employer trying to get me fired for various reasons, such as taking too much vacation, expense fraud, abusing my benefits. I could go on and on with examples of abuse, but I'm pretty sure you get my point. The end result of all of this was multifaceted and totally devastating. It did, obviously, a lot of damage to our children and my relationship with them. I went into an emotional spiral that I had to dig my way out of, and my professional life plummeted and was almost completely destroyed. But that's when I met Dr. Heidi. And I actually worked with Connie for a very long time. She has become one of my very good friends. But I will tell you that as I was going through how the toxic person operates, she started looking at the other relationships in her life, just as I did when I was going through my healing journey. And she started noticing there was friends, there was family, the previous relationships. And she started realizing that her personality actually was attracting these people. So I know that Connie has changed a lot of things in her life for the better of her well-being. But if you don't understand all of this, you would never really notice that the people that have been in your life for a really long time may not be healthy for you. And that doesn't mean you have to get rid of them. That just means you may have to change which circle they're in. Maybe they're not in your inner circle anymore. But one of the things that we need to remember is that toxic relationships can be in any type of relationship. It is very important that you remember this, just like Connie did when she started looking at other relationships. It can be an intimate, spousal, or partner type situation. It can be friendships, family, coworker, social circles. And toxic relationships do not discriminate. They're in every gender, they're in every social class, they're in, in every race, every religion, and every culture. Toxic is not a diagnosis. It's an adjective that's used to describe any relationship that you're in that may be unhealthy for you physically, mentally, or emotionally. And toxic can be on a scale from mild to severe. It can be from the bully on the playground all the way up to the person that I had to change my life around 
or the things we're seeing on Netflix. But the one thing that we do know is that they are all motivated by the same thing. We all get to decide who in our life is healthy for us and who is not. In a nutshell, the ultimate reason some relationships are easy and some relationships are hard is because the goals of the people in the relationship are not aligned. Someone who is toxic to you is usually someone who is using you and your relationship to get what they need for themselves. They're gonna to wanna to feel things, control, power, attention, reactions. They're really gonna to want to kind of take over your life in order to have a higher level of security in themselves. We change who we are to become what they need in order to fit better in those relationships and in order to interact with them better. And why do we do this? To avoid conflict, to avoid upsetting them, to avoid disappointing them, to avoid making them mad. But when we change or accommodate, we often give things up because we feel more comfortable functioning in that relationship. But once you begin to compromise for them, you're gonna to continue to do so until you don't even recognize yourself. Okay, there are five things that we generally give up during the time we're in a toxic relationship. And the first of those things is our independence. And what does our independence look like? Your independence is the things that you do for yourself, the things that you enjoy, the, you know, the things that define us, the things that make you, you. The things about you that make you feel strong and make you feel, you know, proud of yourself. The things that define you and make you separate from everybody else. So, Connie, when we talk about giving up our independence, what did you notice you had given up of your independence while you were in that relationship with your former? Well, for one, for those that know me, I am a huge talker. I'm always on my phone. And I had to turn over my cell phone bill to my husband for inspection. Um, I also really love celebrating others, but I no longer bought presents or cards for anyone because he had told me I was such a terrible gift giver. And I also really, really love fashion. Um, I had gotten to the point where I dressed the way he wanted me dressed. So those were probably the three biggest that jump out at me. And like in my situation, um, I had a job, obviously, but it was fixed so that all the money was funneled through the business. So even though I had income, I did not really have access to it. And it, it kind of defeated the purpose and, and the reward for me working. Not that I have to spend money, but the independence of having your own money was taken away from me. Um, I always wanted to be a comedian and I always thought I was really funny. Uh, he made sure that I, I knew that he did not like that part of my personality. And so I basically cut the funny part of, of Heidi out. Um, you know, in the independence thing, that's been a continual struggle for me. I have to stay on top of making sure I, I do things for myself. Um, and I, th I think that that's kind of residual of being involved in these type of relationships. Uh, the second thing that we give up when we're in relationships are our values. As, as we are in them and we continue to try and avoid the conflict and the bumps in the road, we change our value system so it's gonna fit theirs. Now, what your value system is, is it's what you believe in or what you stand for. 
You know, it's the things that you want people to say about you at your funeral. It's the things that you want your kids to see in you when they look at you. But when we give up those personal beliefs to fit better with somebody else's, we basically lose our whole core guideline of life. And with no guideline of your own, we become a follower. So I, I mean, I know for sure that I had given some of these up. Connie, what, what do you know that you had given up of things that you actually stood for or believed in? Well, I did not grow up Catholic. Um, as I mentioned, my family went to church every weekend, but instead of staying with what I'd grown up with and believed in, I had to become Catholic to marry my husband and order to have a family. He wouldn't let me have kids if I didn't become Catholic. So I became Catholic and did what he wanted. Also, I had never carried debt, as I mentioned to you, but now I was always carrying debt. And I really felt strongly about my friendships. They meant a lot to me, but I gave up all of my friendships. So pretty much I, I gave up everything that I valued. And one of the biggest things for me and why I remember this so well is he told me that normal families fight. Okay, my mom and dad have been married 55 years this January, and to this day, I have never seen them have a fight. Now, I'm certain that they do fight, but when we were growing up, I never saw them fight in front of us. And he convinced me that that was a dysfunctional way to grow up because normal families fight. So that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, the other thing that I think today is so ironic, and it, it makes me a little bit giggle at myself because I was so blind to this, but I have always held honesty as like one of my values. Yet I lived with somebody who cheated on me for 14 years. So here I'm all proud that I'm holding honesty, but my relationship that I'm in is totally not reflecting that because I accepted, I mean, I accepted things I wouldn't normally accept and I put up with things and I accepted poor treatment. And here I'm pretending that I'm standing behind honesty, integrity, and love. And there was nothing in my life that even resembled that. Um, and I guess, you know, looking back, I say giggle. It's not because it's funny. It's just because it makes so much sense to me now how it works out. Uh, the third thing that we give up is we give up ownership of our own life. We change our schedule. We change our priorities. We change our friends. We change our choices. Um, we change where our energy goes, where our focus and where our attention goes. And soon we're living a life that they control. We're actually living their life, not ours. And so Connie, in the, in the realm of ownership of your own life and dictating the things that you should be doing, what did you feel like you gave up? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many things that I could tell you, but I think just to get to the most basic, here I am a mom with little kids and the kids and I were always on his timetable. Even when they were infants, we literally ate, slept and went places when he deemed it. So, and as probably many of you can relate, you can't do that with babies. And I knew that as a new mom and yet I let it be that way. So I think that on the most basic level, I just gave up everything. And, and mine is, is very much like yours. It was never a really a written list, but there was this invisible to-do list that I had to do. And it, it was so huge that every second of my day was taken up because I always felt like the list had to be done. 
And, and now looking back, I know that that was, that was purposely done so that my time and my energy was completely occupied. So I wouldn't have any time or energy, um, you know, to spend on myself. Uh, I never felt like I was allowed to make a mistake. So I was continually always under the pressure of putting all this focus and putting all this, you know, attention on being perfect all the time. And I know that that seems extreme, but I mean, I lived it and Connie lived it and it's, it does seem extreme to us looking back on it now and almost embarrassing a little bit, but yeah, it was, everything was very, very dictated so that he knew where I was when I was there and what I was doing when I was there. Um, the fourth thing that we give up is decision-making ability. We quit making decisions based on what is best for us. Rather, we start making decisions on how other people are going to react or what they're going to think or how we make decisions to avoid conflict or avoid criticism, or we start asking other people what we should do. We doubt ourselves so much that we allow others to make the decision. We learn very quickly that if we just don't make a decision, somebody else is going to make it for us. And I think through these type of relationships, we really start believing that if we make the wrong decision, a firing squad is going to show up. There's going to be criticisms. We're going to be in trouble. We're going to be belittled. And we're afraid to make a decision because we're afraid we're going to make the wrong one. And again, Connie, what was your experience in the decision making? Um, simply put, between my ex-husband and my father, I just didn't make any decisions on my own. And I think that's been one of the hardest things for me to get over. I mean, it's something that I work on continuously now. I, I've even had, I've been lucky enough through work that I've had professional coaches that help me with that process, how to make decisions on my own now. Um, and when I talk about decision-making, I, I know I have mentioned both of these examples on the podcast, but you know, I, I was not wearing my hair like I wanted to wear my hair. I was, I was asking myself how I thought he wanted me to wear my hair so that, that I didn't get criticized about it. Um, I've mentioned this also before. I couldn't really order off of a menu when I left my former. And it wasn't because he was telling me what to order. It was because he was saying things like, how come you're having chicken? Or don't you think that's too expensive? So I would wait to see what he was ordering and what the price point was. And then I would order something I didn't even want in hopes that he wouldn't have a remark about it. And, and in their, their concept is if they can't make little decisions, like how to wear their hair or order off of a menu, they are never going to be comfortable enough with themselves to make a big decision like leaving the relationship or changing the dynamic of the relationship. And, and when I left, I had a very difficult time teaching myself to make decisions. In fact, I have, um, I call them exercises, but I have things in place that when I need to make a decision, if it's something that I am not sure I'm making for Heidi, I go through the whole step of this exercise so that I know I am not more worried about what other people think of my decision than me. And it kind of keeps me on um, my life path for Heidi. Uh, the last thing that we give up is our identity. We become so programmed out of this survival mode and anticipation of staying ahead of them and to cater to them that our attention sh shifts from ourselves, from our work, from everything other than them. And when this happens, our identity starts becoming very congruent with whoever is in the room with us. Because we have given up our independence, we've given up our value system, we've given up our ownership in life, we've given up our decision-making ability, and 
Those are the things that all give us our identity. So where we find ourselves is when we are in the room with a spouse, we are a spouse. When our kids are around, we're a parent. When we're with our family, we're a brother or a sister or a cousin. When we're at work, we're an employee or we're a coworker. And when we're with friends, we're a friend. But what happens when we're dumped into a room by ourselves and we no longer have anybody else in there telling us what hat we're supposed to be wearing, it becomes very difficult for us to figure out who we are. And it almost will send you into a panic attack. This is a lot of times why you see people jump out of one relationship very quickly and move into another because there's no certainty of what their identity is. And if they can jump into another relationship really quick, well, then at least they're a boyfriend or at least they're a girlfriend again, and they have some identity to play off of. So Connie, what was your experience in giving up your identity? I realized once I was away for business and I had to be gone for training for two solid weeks and I was meeting people I had never met um, and I was away all by myself and no one referred to me but as anything but Connie. And it was the first time that I realized people were calling me Connie. And at home, no one referred to me as Connie. They referred to me as Doc's daughter or his wife or the kid's mom. And it kind of shocked me into reality that I no longer had an identity of my own. And it sent me home kind of fearful for what had happened to me. And that's funny because, because in those type of relationships, they don't even have to say your name. All they have to say is, hey, and we're like, what? Yep. Um, and you know, I've had several clients say, you know what? They never even called me by my name. Um, so me, I felt like I had, I felt like I had mastered it because I felt like I had compartments in my life and I just changed who I was depending on how I moved through these compartments. And really what it was is I turned into a little actress and I just played the part of whatever situation I was in. What Connie saw in the beginning, the good guy that everyone loved, gainfully employed, the random gift giver, the one who always listened, the one who put her first, her biggest cheerleader, as she said, was sadly not real. This is a stage where those who are unhealthy for you suck you in and create a sense of safety and trustworthiness. But as the relationship progresses and we buy into their act, there is a shift. Connie felt it. The good guy was only the good guy outside of the home. He could not really sustain a job and put a ton of pressure on Connie to do so. He disregarded her feelings. He no longer listened to her needs. He just repeated that his needs were not being met. She was now on the very, very bottom of his priority list. You know, he wasn't her biggest cheerleader anymore. He actually turned into her biggest judge and her biggest criticizer. Not only discouraging her from like engaging with her family and friends, but he was making it almost impossible. Now, in the meantime, what's Connie doing? Well, she's changing everything about herself that he didn't like. And the funny thing is, it's all the stuff that he really liked in the beginning. She's giving up everything that actually defined her, the hopes of gaining approval and acceptance from him. She's sacrificing all her needs for his because she was hoping to see the guy from the beginning show back up. But you know what? He never did. Why? 
because in the beginning it was it was nothing but an act and what she is seeing now or at the end of her separation and divorce was the real him and connie found herself completely unrecognizable every area of her life had been affected by the constant demands of her husband she didn't realize that over time she was slowly losing everything she was losing her relationships her career her health her desires her spark for life and her smile and i remember you know when i was in it some of you know me and some of you can tell my personality because you've listened to me so much i am loud i'm extroverted i'm the one that's dancing on the table you know i have friends i'm very social i like being around people and i remember shortly before i left my toxic situation i remember never laughing i never really talked to anyone unless they were a patient coming in to see me i looked down all the time i never smiled i never engaged with anybody that is not the heidi that i knew before and it is definitely not the heidi that i know now but unhealthy relationships literally take over every single area of your life to make us dependent on them. This is what emotional abuse looks like. After we give up everything and after Connie gave up everything of herself to avoid conflict with him, Connie was only able to give small pieces of herself in every other area of her life. And this is why I love to be able to go in and talk to companies because we don't like to share what's going on at home if it's not good because of our performance level at work. And people who are employing people who are struggling at home need to realize there has to be some support out there because you are absolutely not getting the full potential of their work. And if you have somebody who's in a toxic work environment, their family and their spouse is only getting a small fragment of them when they get home. When I met Connie, she felt hopeless. She was manic. She was felt like she was worthless in every area of her life. But what Connie didn't see is that it had nothing to do with her. This was not something that was wrong with her. This is something that happened to her for the needs of someone else. He programmed her for his needs. So what did Connie and I do? We just reprogrammed her. You know, and Connie has worked very, very hard over the last five years. But let's see where Connie is today. Connie, it's been a long road and I've known you for a long time, but you know, a lot of crying, a lot of late night phone calls, a lot of frustration on your part and on my part, a lot of educating and repeating and guiding and reassuring. But if we take those things that you talked about in the beginning, um, how are they different? The relationship with your kids or your kids in general, how are they different now than when you and I first met? My kids, I'm happy to report, are doing great now. Um, they've got straight A's. They're gifted athletes. And I have to say, I have no idea where they got their athleticism from. But um, after a lot of hard work, we're a very, very close family that truly enjoys spending time hanging out together. We talk a lot with one another. Things are great. 
See, and that was your biggest struggle was learning how to deal with the kids and allowing, learning to remember that the kids were still in it when you were out of it. Um, okay, how about the emotional spiral that you talked about? I'm, I'm really good. Um, there's absolutely no way that I could have done a podcast like this uh, five years ago, but I feel like my old self again. And in fact, honestly, I feel much better than my old self. I feel like I'm more resilient, stronger, more confident. I feel like I could take on just about any challenge now. It might be difficult to take on the challenge, but now I feel like I know what framework to be able to take on those challenges. Um, and just to follow up on that, you know, we always are looking for the person before those relationships to come back. And you're never gonna find that person again because, because on the backside of these relationships, like Connie said, she's stronger than she's ever been and she's a completely different person because of that relationship. What about, what about socially? Socially, I, so it's funny that you asked that because I just had a conversation with a friend um, on my way here to do this podcast. I, it used to be that I wanted to be in friendships with everybody. I wanted to like everybody and I wanted everybody to like me. And now I'm very content to have a few very strong friendships. In fact, I can remember as a kid, my parents telling me, you're very lucky in life if you have a couple of good friends. Um, you don't necessarily need to be friends with everyone. And I thought, oh, you're such a stick in the mud. Of course you wanna be friends with everybody. They were 100% right. You do need to have a couple of very good friends that you can count on. And that's really all you need in life. And now I understand that. And I'm happy for my good, strong friendships. And actually, um, when Connie, before she came over here to record this morning, um, we were talking and she said, you know, I saw a picture of me a few years ago and I am not friends with a single person that is in that picture that I thought were my friends years ago. So I, that's basically what you were saying. Okay. And what about your career? I'm flourishing at work. As I mentioned, I'm in sales um, and I'm currently well above my sales quota. I've won several awards. I'm active at work. I've taken on short-term assignments. I'm completely focused on career development. I mean, things are going really, really well. And actually I'm just applied for a new position. I don't know if I want to get that position, but it's good to have new goals. And of course, the biggest question that I always ask everyone that is at the stage that you're in, what is the biggest takeaway from this whole chapter of your life? Well, I had this aha moment. I realized that absolutely nothing and no one is going to be better until I'm better. It's kind of like what they talk about on the airplane. You have to put the mask on yourself before you can put it on your loved ones. So everything that made me me and made me happy, I'd given up. And once I invested in myself and I found happiness again, I found confidence again, my kids finally followed suit. But I didn't know that until I finally took the steps. And, and as we know, our self-security comes from the things that we put into ourselves. It's when we have a good group of friends. It's when we're taking care of ourselves. It's when we're investing in our career. It's when, you know, we've lost five pounds and we look great in the dress. It's, it's the things that we put into our own lives that make us feel secure. And in those type of relationships, they want us to feel insecure so that they feel more secure. And this is another thing that I continually have to work through is 
I have to focus on continually making sure that I'm taking care of myself or I find myself slipping back into times of insecurity. Um, and I will probably continue to have to remind myself that I do have to put the mask on first before I can take care of anybody else. Hey, I'm Rachel. I found Dr. Heidi's podcast when I needed it most, as I was leaving an emotionally abusive marriage. Dr. Heidi validated my experience, made me feel less alone, and helped me start the healing that I could not have done alone. Dr. Heidi is now offering an exclusive members-only podcast, where you can submit your questions, listen to others going through similar struggles, and hear Dr. Heidi's never-before-shared personal story. To learn more, go to www dot it's not normal it's toxic dot com join her members only podcast it's only $15 a month to get two bonus episodes every week plus the chance to ask your questions to Dr. Heidi go to www dot it's not normal it's toxic dot com